Good morning, everybody. Hope you are doing all right. My name's Alid. I'm one of the members here at King's Park, the leadership team. I hope you're well. Uh, today, sadly, is actually the end of our Following Jesus series. So we've had a number of weeks. Uh, maybe if you're new in this morning, maybe you're new watching online, I've got some good news for you today. Jesus' invitation to go and follow him is open to all. It's open to everyone. God doesn't restrict or limit in any way uh, a specific group or type of person. It says in John 3 that God so loved the world, each and every one of us, that whoever would believe in him. The invitation is for all of us. Uh, I think it's in Isaiah 55. It says, come all who are thirsty. Everyone is able to come. And in 1 Timothy 2, I was reading last night even, God wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. This is God's desire, is that all of us can say, actually, I follow Jesus. He is the Lord of my life. But over the last several weeks, we've learned that uh, actually following Jesus does also come at a cost, doesn't it? So we know that the gospel is the good news for anyone who believes, but we know that with that belief comes a cost. It, comes, it desires a response. It's like me saying this morning that if anyone would like this £10, it is a free gift. I would love to give anyone in this room £10. But the reality is the only way you're going to receive that gift, even though it's a completely free gift, is if you actively do something in response. So I will give this £10 to anyone in the room if all they'll do is get up bravely and stand up and come and receive the gift which is freely given to them. Does anyone want this £10 note? No one? Come get if Anyone want this £10 note? Fantastic. Listen. It's a completely free gift. But the only way that someone can receive it is by actively saying, I am willing to go and receive that gift for myself. So in other words, no amount of uh, having relatives that go to church or no amount of listening or doing things, actually it takes a personal response to go and receive the very free gift that is on offer to all who are thirsty, they can come. So let me just very quickly, by means of introduction, remind ourselves of some of the things that we've learned over the last several weeks as we've looked at what it means to truly follow Jesus. So in week one, we were talking, I was talking about we are saved by grace alone. It is a free gift to us, all right? Without Jesus, the Bible says we are spiritually dead. And he saves us, yes, because he loves us. He does love you deeply, just as Ian was sharing in that video. But he saves us supremely for his glory among the nations. It's so that he can receive the glory due his name. We, were, we learned that actually we were able to grow in his likeness. We're able to become more like Jesus when we are grafted into him. Paul was preaching about the vine and the branches and how when we are grafted into him, one of the ways we see we are saved is by the fruits that comes out in our lives, the things that God does in us and the changes it makes. This fruit leads us to a life of obedience whilst we look ahead for Jesus' return. That's something that Andrew spoke about, actually following Jesus. It's not just one in the present, but it's one that looks to the future and the promised arrival again of Jesus when he returns. 
This is not something we do alone, but we do it in community with one another, with brothers and sisters around us as we encourage and we challenge and we help bring out the treasure that's in each and every one of us. That's something Natalie shared with us, is that we are all made in the image of God and we can encourage those gifts out of one another. But this comes at a huge cost. Because we cannot do any of these things while still being the Lord of our own lives. As Sam said last week, I thought it was excellent, he said, we need to sit in the back of the car and allow him to do the driving. And that's a very difficult thing to do. So as I sat down last night to think about today's message, I felt God wanted to highlight two particular uh, barriers, if you like, or hurdles that may hinder or prevent us from following Jesus in the way that we have had explained to us over the last several weeks. All right? Two particular barriers, and, and there will be many more, but there's two that I felt prophetically God would want to encourage us as a people together. So I'm just going to say them up front so you know where we're going, and we're just going to spend a few moments on each one, and then we're going to give time to reflect and to respond through uh, the breaking of bread and wine together this morning. Okay, so two barriers, all right? The first one is unbelief, unbelief, and the second one I feel God wants us to uh, think about today is comfort. So we've got unbelief and comfort. Okay, so the first hurdle to following Jesus, unbelief. Now, we know biblically that unbelief at its extreme can prevent you from receiving salvation altogether. Although the invitation to come and receive is there, unbelief says, I just don't know whether that £10 is valued what it is. I don't even know whether he'll even give it to me if I got up out of my chair. I'm just going to stay here. I'm, thanks for the offer, but no, thank you. Unbelief can actually deny you from salvation altogether. Whilst the offer of salvation is for everyone, Jesus says it's for whoever believes. It takes something of a belief and an understanding in our hearts, which means that no amount of church attending or Christian friends and relatives or even good behavior is going to cut it. It's either full belief and trust in Jesus or I fold. Those are the only options. It's either full belief and trust in Jesus or fold. But unbelief, unbelief is still a hurdle that all of us face, even as believers, even as Christians. Okay? Skepticism can creep in. Maybe doubt or even disappointment can take hold. I don't know, maybe it's a prolonged thing that you've been praying for. Maybe it was a, a result that you weren't hoping for, things that you'd really kind of held onto God for and didn't turn out the way that you expected. We could be even offended by the way that God chooses to do things in his sovereignty or maybe even just not believe he's able to do something at all. And you know, I, I firmly believe that when unbelief takes hold in our lives, it appears to be able to limit what God desires or is able to do in a person's life. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I believe that God is sovereign over all things. I do. I'm not saying that God isn't sovereign. He is. But it seems from Scripture, particularly something like Mark 6, I find it fascinating that even Jesus is surprised by people's level of unbelief and is even prevented from doing many mighty works on account of it because of their unbelief. 
Now, what's the opposite of unbelief? Well, the Bible and Jesus talks about something else called faith, about this working out this journey of following Jesus, and what it takes is a, is a faith in him, which is the opposite of unbelief. And there are times that actually Jesus is equally marveled by people's level of faith that it unlocks a blessing that otherwise would have been missed. I'm sure all of us can think of examples in the Bible where that happens. So here's just a few that came to mind for me. Uh, There's a woman who has been uh, bleeding, menstrual bleeding, for 12 years. She's spent all the money she's got. She's, She's gone everywhere she can to try and find a healing, a solution, and no one can do anything for her. And she sees Jesus, and she, she thinks, if, if only, if all I can do is just touch the hem of the garment, maybe I'll be well. Just a seedling, just a tiny bit of faith of maybe if only I could get close enough that I could touch him, I could be healed. Well, what happens? She goes along, she touches his garment, and she's completely healed. What healed her from her sickness? What healed her? God did. Jesus healed her, Yes? But it's interesting what Jesus says. Jesus says this, your faith has made you well. That's interesting, yeah? She could have just said, this is just my state, this is just how it's going to be. She, in faith, pursues and pushes in through the crowds. She touches Jesus' garment and she's healed. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. What about the lame dude? You know, the guy who's lame from birth and his friends in faith, they even open up a hole in the roof. They lower him down just so he can get close to Jesus. The crowds are all around. They can't get close to him. And do you know what Jesus says? Jesus, it says this in scripture, he says, seeing their faith. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Faith is at play again. How about the centurion, the Roman centurion who has people that, he, uh, that serve him and do things, and he basically sends word to Jesus saying, you don't even need to come to my house to heal my servant girl. Now there's faith. He didn't even need Jesus to come close. He just said, you just say a word and she'll be healed. And this is what Jesus says to those around him. He says, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When it came to his close followers, Jesus calms a great storm, and Jesus actually rebukes those that are closest to him and says, oh, you of little faith. There's a moment where Jesus feeds 5,000 men and their families, and then he goes on and feeds 4,000 people and their families, and just in a time of need, literally just moments afterwards, Jesus is again rebuking, saying, guys, you still don't get it. Oh, you men of little faith. Faith seems to be quite important currency in the kingdom of God. Time and time again, people's experience of God's power and his kingdom seems to be directly related to their understanding and their faith in Jesus. There's this this moment where Peter, he gets out of the boat and he's walking on water. And I'll tell you, I, I spent seven hours on a boat the other day and I would not want to get out and try and walk on water. So credit to the guy. But interestingly, Jesus doesn't praise him. He actually rebukes him for what? What does he say? He says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? So let me just ask us all, and I'm I'm speaking to myself as much as any one of us, where is our faith at? 
Where is your level of faith at when it comes to the things of God? What was your expectation when you came in this morning or turned your TV on this morning? Was there any sense of anticipation or expectation that God was going to do something, anything? Maybe tomorrow morning when you go to work, when you go to the shops, when you're taking care of those in your home. Is there any expectation, is there any anticipation that God wants to do something in and through you? Where is our faith? Because if there isn't, I don't think we're going to see very much, guys. Do you? But there's, a, there's another interaction with Jesus that I find so helpful in this, and it's in Mark 9. Uh, there's a man who's got a child who's been plagued by the demonic for all of his life. And he brings him along, and the disciples have tried to cast out this demon, and they haven't been able to do anything. And Jesus, again, after rebuking the unbelief of the disciples, the father of this dear lad looks at Jesus, and he says this, but if you can do anything... Have compassion on us and help us. Now, what does Jesus say? How does he respond? He actually, the first thing he does is by echoing back what the man said. And he says this, if you can. That's interesting, right? And it's interesting how he echoes it back because he wants to help the man understand a problem. So he repeats it back to him. What, if I can? And then he says this, all things are possible with him who believes. The question is, is do we believe? Immediately the boy's father cries out these wonderful words, I do believe, help my unbelief. And you know what, I find that so helpful. As someone who loves Jesus and wants to follow Jesus and be obedient to him, I find it so helpful to have that in Scripture where I can cry out to God and say, God, I believe help me. Help me in my doubts. Help me in my unbelief. Help me in my weaknesses. Help me in my struggles. Because I believe that it is going to be impossible for you and me to follow Jesus and do the things that he's asked us to do if we lack faith and settle with unbelief. It's going to be impossible. We as King's Church are at risk of settling. Or, or dare I say, have settled because we say too many if-you-cans instead of yes-you-cans. Let me say it again. As a church, we are at risk or have settled with too many if-you-cans instead of yes-he-can. In your situations, wherever you are, whether it's here or at home, yes-he-can. That's where level of faith is. And so today in... 10 minutes or so as we break bread, it's going to be an opportunity for us to repent of those doubts and unbelief and maybe even just your lack of expectation and ask God for a deposit of faith and fresh revelation of who he is. Because faith and his faithfulness are the reverse of the same coin. It's only because he's faithful and we remind ourselves of what he's done that we can stand confidently in faith of what he's going to do. So we need to start there. We need to overcome the hurdle of unbelief. And it begins there by knowing God more. We need to, right? We need to as a church and we need to as individuals to stay, stand firm on the word of God and say, this is who he is and yes, he can. 
we need to overcome the hurdle of unbelief. If this is going to work, guys, his invitation to come and follow him, he's going to take us into places which are uncomfortable, and we're going to have to say, yes, he can. That's the first one. The second one is something of comfort. And I feel this is just following on from what Sam preached about last week in terms of the cost. Because following Jesus demands a response, as we've said, and it comes at a cost. Because everything about God's kingdom is at complete odds with the world. I don't know if you've noticed that. The world is all about advancing yourself. It's about acquiring more. Jesus says, whoever doesn't lose their life for my sake, they will find it. We're at risk of trying to gain everything in this world. And he says, what is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? It's a completely upside down kingdom, or should we say a right way up kingdom, where the world has got it wrong. And through the early church... And all of church history, God's kingdom has advanced most when people count the cost and forfeit comfort either voluntarily or by force. Fact. Every time. And that's because comfort's best friend is complacency. You get comfortable, you get complacent. Persecution, actually, and this is something that Sam alluded to last week, persecution is one of the driving forces that led the gospel advancing across Judea and Samaria from Acts 8. Up to Acts 8, everything is just happening in Jerusalem. What happens? Persecution comes and suddenly the gospel explodes across the equivalent of the county and beyond. And you know, it's persecution that is actually propelling incredible growth among churches in places like China, in Korea, in Iran. There's a, a guy, Francis Chan, who asked a leader of one of the fastest growing churches in underground China. He said, what is, what is it that's making the church grow so quickly and be so effective? And do you know what the leader said? He said this, we have learned to embrace suffering for the glory of Christ. We've learned to embrace suffering for the glory of Christ. You look at any revival, you look at any historical missionary or evangelist, you will find people who have had to make difficult decisions that have come at an incredible cost. You look at all the heroes of faith that we read about in Hebrews 11. Every single one of them have had to make significant sacrifices that came at a real cost. You will not find faith without cost. So first first point, unbelief, need faith. Well, you will not be able to receive faith and follow Jesus without counting the cost of following him. They come hand in hand. In fact, I'd I'd go so far to say is that if it hasn't cost you anything to follow Jesus, then you're not following the real deal. You're following a fake gospel, a half gospel. And we shall have regularly in our lives, almost daily, opportunities that we'll have to choose comfort or cost, whether it's in the choices we make, the conversations we have, the jobs we have, even the places we live. If following Jesus means giving him the keys and sitting in the back seat, the places he takes us are not always going to be comfortable ones. It's almost as though Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross daily. Because every day there's going to be choices that we make which are either going to be comfort or they're going to be cost for the sake of the gospel. Now, I imagine the disciples regularly felt uncomfortable with the places Jesus took them and the things he asked them to do. Jesus, we're going to go there? 
We wouldn't dare go there. Jesus like, we're going. Jesus demands us to forfeit comfort, treasures, and even reputation in this life. Now, before you get all depressed on me, because you're all looking incredibly happy in here. <laughs> Mind you, you've got your masks on, so maybe you're smiling. Let me just remind you very quickly as I finish where true comfort comes from. Because I'll tell you where it's not. It's not in a nice house. It's not in a cozy bed or a safe neighborhood. It's not in a triple-figure salary or an annual bonus or even your state pension or your benefits. Comfort is not a standard we aim to achieve, but a person we get to believe. It's not about a standard that we get to achieve. It's about a person that we get to believe and receive. It's how we can have faith through our unbelief. It's how we can trust even when things get uncomfortable because God is comfort. (laughs) Because God is faithful. Because he is trustworthy. And I would rather get myself in uncomfortable situations alongside the comforter than pursue a temporary, weak, shallow comfort and not be where God wants me to be. (laughs) I hope that's true for you too. I really do. Following Jesus is a big decision. It is. It's a big decision and one that comes at a huge cost. But let me tell you, dear friends, choosing not to follow Jesus is also a very big decision. And it's one that will come at a considerably greater cost at the end. Friends, we need to start embracing hardship and embarrassment and misunderstanding for the sake of the gospel. I'm not saying be weird. Don't be weird. Just be you. All the time. Let people see who it is that you are. Don't rob others of seeing what God has done in you. So how are you doing in your comfort? What are the places and situations that you don't allow or expect God to do things in your life at risk of them getting maybe a bit messy or uncomfortable Guys, if we're truly going to follow Jesus, if we're truly going to see our towns and surrounding areas impacted for the gospel, we need to start embracing suffering for the glory of Christ. And we need to start putting aside our unbelief and overcoming that with steps of faith where we say, yes, he can. Not will he or could he or if you will. So we're just going to break bread in a moment. And this is going to be our way of responding through this whole preach series, because this is the end of that series of following Jesus. The invitation is there for each and every one of you. And if you're online, it's for you as well. You can follow Jesus, but it's going to come at a cost, and there's going to be hurdles. But Jesus, in him, every promise is yes and amen, is what we've just been singing. So as we break bread now, we have an opportunity to surrender our lives to him and to lay it all on the table, as if, if you like, and say, Jesus, my life is yours and I want nothing more than to live out of faithful obedience and go and do whatever you require me to do to the ends of my home, to the ends of my work office, to the ends of the world even for the glory of your name among the nations. And the reason it's so fitting to do this in the context of bread and wine is because Jesus never calls and asks us to do anything that he is not prepared to do. So as we take the bread and as we take the wine, we remind ourselves that Jesus, the king of faith, who came and lived out a faith-filled life and counted what it was to cost, to count the suffering, even die on a cross for our sins, he calls us to then take up our cross and to follow him.
So I've asked Janaire and the guys just want to come up. They're just going to play a bit of quiet music in the background. And we're just going to take a good four or five minutes just for you to do some personal time with God. Some personal time to think about and to pray, maybe even repent of areas in your life where you have lacked belief and faith. And maybe there are, any, maybe there are even specific areas throughout this series that have done a number on you and you say, actually, that is something that I need to deal with before the cross. Now is our opportunity to do it.